Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. We are going to take a little break out of John today for the next, actually for the next couple weeks, and then we'll be back in John because of some exciting news in my life. But I'm going to read the scripture for you real quick on, out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we thought we'd pause this week because the elders have been gracious enough to give my family a summer sabbatical as of this October 1st. So I'm getting it a little early, thankfully, to them. October 1st is exactly 10 years for our church in our age, and so God has been doing a lot of wonderful things. And so the elders have given me a, uh, a sabbatical for the summer, and so what we thought we would do is just take a, a moment to kind of talk about this as a church, just to teach through what sabbatical is and help us understand what it's not. And then next week, the elders are going to pray my family off for the summer. So this text, this scripture, we've taught through Hebrews before. I love this section. Hebrews chapter 12, to give you a little context, is kind of the the continuation of what the author had stated in in chapter 10, verse 36, where he says, "For for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Then chapter 11 gives all these incredible examples of Old Testament pillars of faith that, that, that by faith, saints who endured by faith, by faith, by faith, and then he returns to this theme of endurance again here in chapter 12. He talks about these witnesses, this therefore is, is tying all the witnesses that they've done. He's saying, look, you have all these people that have gone before you that are witnesses, that are not just witnesses of what they do, but witnesses in the sense that they bear witness to the Christian community of God's faithfulness and the effectiveness of faith. They're people that have lived their life in a way that shows over and over again that it was not their strength, it was not their willpower, it was not their doing, but it was the faith of God in them and moving forward. In this way, it's a a great cloud of faithful Christ followers through history that offer the motivation in current struggles to stay the course for us. Talks about how Jesus endures the cross. The cross was was insignificant compared to the joy that was set before our Lord. The cross did not matter compared to what was going beyond, the, beyond the, the cross. The end result of its shame was his exaltation to the right hand of God. We see that in Psalm 110. Thus, as Christians, we are encouraged to look beyond our present difficulties to God's promised rewards. At the end of his life, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, says, I have fought the good fight and I run the race of perseverance. Don't ever begin to think that it is about what we do. It's very clear that it is about God's strength. We run with the strength that God supplies, that in everything God may get the glory through Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter 4, 11. But it's really important for us to know how to run this race. This text is actually really specific in what it says. It talks about this endurance race, this idea that, it's, that life is a marathon, that you're going to spend some time running. And, and if you've ever spent any time running, I'm, I'm not a big fan of running. In fact, I think people that run for fun are crazy. But either way, if you, if you run for fun, you have experienced the, the difficulty that comes in running. 
You, you know that there's training. You can't just get up. And, and at my age, if I got up and tried to outrun my daughter today, I'd pull something, right? Like I have to stretch. I have to prepare. I have to do those things. And if my daughter asked to race me, it's like, is it to this bush up here or is it around the block? Because that's a different race for me altogether. There must be some resolve not to drop out of the context or the contest, but to exert every effort to cross the finish line despite the hardship. No one ever goes to a race and says, I hope that I don't finish. Yet we see in the scriptures that this, this, there's this race that is set before us, this race that is, that is, that is put before you and I. It's, it's, a, it's a course that ultimately has been set before us. The cross was set before Jesus, and he went to the cross. The race that you and I are on is set before us. So for us to run this race by faith, we won't be able to do so unless we submit our will to his will. But what does it look like for us to run with endurance? If you get out in life expecting it to be, I'm going to run through college so that when I'm out of college, life will be much easier, those of you that have made that transition realize very quickly that that was not true. I'm going to run through this stage of life so that when I get to retirement, life may be easier. (laughs) Those of you that have experienced that realize that life just doesn't get easier. If we can just get through this season with our kids, then things, and we continue to push ourselves beyond the season we're at, but ultimately what we're doing is we're causing ourselves to sprint to that fake finish line only to fall flat on our face and realize we don't have the energy to keep going. He tells us to run this, way, this race with, with two things that he tells us to do. He says to lay down the weights that so easily entangle us and the sin, or sorry, the weights and the sin which so easily entangles us. He, he kind of brings this indifference, this distinguishes here two different things. The, the weights aren't anything that is intrinsically wrong, but it's a picture of an athlete getting ready for a race, taking off their, their coats and, and de-layering their sweats and getting down to the running only thing. It'd be like going to the race in flip-flops and putting on your running shoes or going to the race in, in hiking books, boots and taking those off and getting your running shoes. It's a matter of taking the things that get in the way. And I think so often we want to know if it's sin or not sin. What the scripture shows us is that there are things that slow us down that have nothing to do with them being sin. They're just ill, ill-used, ill-placed. They're just a weight. And for some of you, you carry these weights like what you should do. You put a lot of weight on your life. I should be doing this. And it's not wrong to be thinking that you want to do something, but this this weight of what you should do starts weighing you down. And when you get to that race, you're not able to run at the pace that God has set before you for the good works that he created beforehand, like it says in Ephesians. And then he says, sin. Now, the author does not seem to have any specific sin in mind, but rather understands any sin as a hindering progress in the faith journey. Any sin that we continue to walk with and to run with is going to affect our race. And so he says, lay down the sin and the weight. We get really two motivations to run this race out of this text, which is wonderful. You get the, the motivation. There's, there's two. The first is, is this idea of the cloud of witnesses that go before us, that came before us, that, these, that, that you're not alone, that there's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament and just in history that have run this race to show you what it looks like to surrender our life to the faith in God, to, to trust Him for our process, to trust Him for the space of things in life, what we're doing, where we're going, how things are going. He's saying, look, you have people around you. 
This is what we would today call community. This is us recognizing that there are people in our life that are, that are further along in their race or behind us in our race, and either way, they can point us back to Jesus Christ. He says, this is a motivation for running. Parents, this is why we use this very text as an idea of saying our faith journey isn't just about us finishing well, but how do we instill and pass on the faith in our lives? For all of us as Christians, how are we making disciples? This is the idea of being a witness, someone who has surrendered to God in all these things. The people that come before us and after us, will you live a life that can be a witness to others even when you're gone? The second, and it's far greater than the first in motivation, is that we keep our eyes fixed on the founder, the author, and the perfecter, the completer of our faith. See, what's profound about this is that so often we think it's, it's that we just need to keep doing with our heads down, and we forget that you know our heads need to always stay up and fixated on Jesus Christ, because he's the one that is completing the work in us. The motivation to run the race when it gets really, really hard isn't that we may see through it, it's that we keep our eyes fixed on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. The motivation isn't that we, that we would just make it through and be like, oh, cool, we did something wonderful, but it's that we would make it through the race, knowing that ultimately the end of our race is to be in communion, perfect communion relationship with Jesus Christ in his presence. This is our motivation. The main way to run with endurance, the race that is set before us, is actually what the scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider whom who has endeared such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're not running this alone. We have those who have gone before us and those who are coming after us, and we have the founder and the perfecter of our faith the entire way. Now, this is all wonderful, right? We've all heard something like this. Yeah, okay, cool, hurrah, let's go. But yet, when we look at the race that's set before us, especially this last year, why does it feel like we're running uphill in snow and getting bludgeoned by every single turn of branch smacking us in the face? See, I think that the fallacy, the, the, the belief that we, we assume that we should be on a track that's flat and like in San Diego weather all the time or something. Like it's just perfect weather, very little little rain every now and then just to cool us off. But other than that, it's just, just awesome, warm, wonderful. And we forget that, that any race is going to have hills. It's going to have spots where the, if, you're, if you're spending on a real run, you're going to like, should I turn right here or I turn left? There's going to be some confusion at times for us. And it's going to be hard. The, the visual I got was the kid from Christmas Story wrapped in the snowsuit running in the most humid of South at one point. Like, that's why I feel like this last year has been for running for all of us. The wrong gear for the wrong time and the wrong season and nothing seeming to work. And, and I think we need to recognize that, that you guys are, have been sprinting. I've been sprinting. Sometimes we've been doing so much that we forget that there's actually a way to run with a pace that makes sense where we don't fall flat on our face at every single turning point. When it comes to pastors and pastors' wives, I did some, some research on statistics, and this is just the context I'm in, and so I'll share this with you quick. It's, it's actually pretty sickening. 72% of pastors claim that they only study the Bible when preparing their sermons for others. 70% say they do not have close friends. 44% do not regularly take a day off. I'm not sad because this is true of me. I'm sad because I have way too many brothers that have been very true of this. 90% work 55 to 75 hours a week. 
90% feel fatigued and worn out every week. 91% have experienced some form of burnout. 70% have a lower self-esteem when they entered ministry. And 70% fight depression. It doesn't stop there. Pastors' wives, 80% feel pressured to serve in ways they do not fit their gifts. 50% say that the most destructive event in their marriage and family was the day they entered ministry. 80% wish that their spouse would choose another profession. 80% feel left out and underappreciated by church members. 56% say they have no close friends in the church. 84% feel unqualified and discouraged in their role. 80% believe their spouse is overworked. 40% of their husbands have had an extramarital affair while serving as a pastor. And 50% of marriages in ministry will end in divorce. Uh, of course, people in other jobs work extremely hard and have great stress too. Uh, one, one, one pastor says it this way. He says, but doctors, attorneys, police officers, CPAs, or teachers, if they get divorced, they usually don't lose their jobs. If their spiritual life grows stale, probably no one worries about it. If they struggle with alcohol abuse or other emotional problems or pornography, it's usually not a problem that will take them out of work, or if it does, when they get it back in order, they can get back in place to right where they were. I don't share these things to get you to feel sorry for us. Um, Jen and I love what we do. We feel honored to do this. It's a joy. Um, we feel called and led to this role and have no desire to do anything else. I don't share this to say that a sabbatical will save from any of these statistics coming true because that's not the truth. Only resting in the Lord will do that. I share it because it reeks of people not running the race with endurance. Whether it's not having healthy boundaries, not holding to healthy boundaries, or others obliterating your boundaries. And all three of those are true for every pastor. This is one of the reasons why we choose as a church to give sabbaticals. So what is a sabbatical? Sabbatical is, the term itself is, it means in Greek, of the Sabbath. First used kind of in the 1800s to give extended breaks for people. Usually, uh, you'll see it in the education circle. You'll see it in ministries. Some doctors will do it. Um, really, in our context, uh, sabbatical is extend, intended to be a continuous days of Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is one of the main reasons um, that, Jesus, that God gave us the Sabbath was to remind the people of God that they are not in control. We see this in the manna, we see this in the wilderness, we see this in the, all over through Scripture. It's, to, it's a reminder to stop, to pause, to decease, to sit still and recognize that we cannot control our circumstances. God is in control. Sabbath rest was to intentionally disrupt your schedules, whether in the wilderness or green pastures. It literally means to stop or to cease, to disrupt. Don't do what you normally do. Everything on the Sabbath is for the Lord, no matter what you do. Sabbath rest is not a command as it was in the Old Testament. Under the new covenant, we are not commanded that we must keep the Sabbath, but it would be absolutely foolish for us to ignore the wisdom that comes from resting in the Sabbath. Foolish for us to live our lives in a way where there is not regular rest in our lives. Time not just vegging and looking at Netflix, that's not rest the way that Sabbath is. Sabbath is, is to take your time to decease from what you're doing and to spend it to say, Lord, I want to be refreshed and renewed in you. We 
what is a sabbatical is not. I want to talk about this because I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that have unintentionally or intentionally used these poorly. I want you to be really clear on this. It is not a career enhancement or accomplishing goals or objectives. That's not what a sabbatical is. It's not a job search. It is not an elder-imposed leave of absence to discipline a pastor. A sabbatical is not just a long vacation. It's a time... It's not a time to read books on leadership or visit successful churches and learn from them. It's not a time to write a book or do some research or work on some other special project. These are good things to do, and it's not that you can't do any of them on the sabbatical, but they work against the spirit of sabbatical, Sabbath, biblical rest. A true sabbatical is a season of Sabbath for prolonged rest. It's an extended time which you do not work, you do, not past, you do no pastoring, no leading, no ministering. This is what one pastor said. No visioning the future of the church, no sermon planning. You don't try to accomplish anything, you just, any big. You just do nothing, of course. We do not mean nothing as an end in itself. That'd be an empty legalism. Our purpose is to worship our creator and redeemer like we see in Deuteronomy and Exodus. Yes, there are trips, but again, it's a time for solitude with God, a respite for improving one's health it should be a time to truly and completely disconnect from routines, responsibilities. We're putting the words of Psalm 23 to test. The Lord is my shepherd, we say with David. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Sabbatical is an extended leave from everyday work, a time to rest the body, soul, and mind, a time to, of renewal and development of relationships with God and others. This is what a sabbatical is. This is what it means for us to run a race. Now, I understand. I understand it is not lost to me that not everyone gets a sabbatical. It is an absolute blessing and joy and, and gift of God that we get this. But this break is not about me. It's about us. When I say us, what I mean is Jen and myself. It's about us. There are too many stories of pastors neglecting their wives in, in honor of serving the Lord. Um, I won't do this, and I don't ever want to do this. I have made this mistake in the past, but Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for I shouldn't try and lead the bride of Christ while ignoring my bride. So this rest is for us, Jen and I. When I say us, it's not just Jen and I, it's Jen and I and my kids, my four wonderful kids. I want these kids and my wife to always remember these three months as our church lives with us, in our, in our, as our church, as a part of our church's lives. My kids love the church right now, and I don't want that to change. I don't want to do something in a way that shows that the church takes precedence over my kids, that somehow the church's role is to disciple them in place of me. So when I say us, I mean my wife, I mean my kids. In fact, 1 Timothy 3, 4 says that it, that I'm to, to, to have my household in order in a way that my children will know the Lord. This takes me living my life, not just my job for the Lord. My job happens to be my wife's and kids' church. That's a tricky, tricky boundary. It is true that one of my kids may rebel, even if we have a firm foundation in the Lord at home, but the question should be, was the rebellion because of Jen and me or in spite of our jobs? us not doing our jobs as parents. I shouldn't operate in, a way, operate in a way that sacrifices my kids. I shouldn't be striving to lead the bride of Christ while completely ignoring my kids. When I say that this sabbatical is about us, 
I mean the elders, the staff, and all of you, the church. I am incredibly grateful to the role and the way that the elders serve with me and that the staff serve with me and how we work together. Um, I want them to get the best from me, and this is one of those ways to help because I know that I've been running hard at different seasons at different points, sometimes on my own strength, unfortunately, and other times, praise God, on his strength. But it's for us. And this is an opportunity for each of them to step up, but also an opportunity for each of you to step up. I think too often in the church, we have relegated all responsibilities to the paid professionals. We said, it's the paid professional's job to do these things, and I just can just sit on the back, and I can do whatever I want. And that's just not the truth. The church would not succeed, would not move forward, would not be true to the vision that God has given us if it weren't for the entirety of the church playing the role that it's supposed to. That's you playing the role in your gospel communities. That's you playing your role in the way you serve. That's you playing your role in the way you give of your time, of your finances, of your mission. This is us doing it together. Please don't stop giving of your time, finances, relationships. Keep serving. Please step up. But I also think it'd be really good for all of us to think about the pace of life that we live. I know that COVID in this last year has probably either disrupted it for better for some or for way worse for others, depending upon how you work and where you work. But the question I want to leave and ask you guys, and obviously I'll be here this next week and leave next week, but, but the question I want you to start praying through right now is, 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 is the life you're living, is the race you're running, is it at a sustainable pace? And now don't get me wrong, there are times you're climbing a hill. There are times you're sprinting hard, but if all you're ever doing is climbing a hill and sprinting, you're running the wrong race. So how are you going to take time to rest? Again, I know that now you're like, well, I'm going to take the whole summer off. No, a lot of you won't get to do that, and I understand that. But could you take a day? What if, you, what if you took a day every week? What if you just spent a day and said, hey, we're going to, as a family, this is going to be a day where there's no technology. Well, maybe you use your car to get somewhere, but no screen time, no TV. And we're just going to spend time, we're going to do what refreshes our souls with the Lord today. And some of you are like, well, I won't rest with my kids. Okay, there may be a problem there, but I also understand sometimes your kids are young, and I understand that, so then take two days. One with your kids to train it and model it, and another one with your spouse. Would you, would you be willing to take a day to rest? Here's the thing. If you, if you can't rest, if you can't take a day of rest, then what you're saying is God can't do what he needs to do without you doing it. And that's a dangerous spot to be. That's a really dangerous spot to be in ministry, but I think it's just as dangerous as a, as a CPA. It's just as dangerous as any other profession. If you say, I can't stop because people are relying on me, and that's it, you've placed yourself as their God unintentionally. So will you take a day of rest? What I want to challenge every single one of you, I want to challenge every single one of you to either pull out your phone and make a little note of it or go old school with paper and pen. They, they still make that, okay? And I want you to find a couple days, maybe three days this summer, where you can just say, this is going to be a, a Sabbath rest day. And I want you to write all that God shows you in that. And I want to hear about that when I get back. I want you to share that with each other. And I want you to be able to speak to someone and say, hey, I understand this is a tough season in your job, but how are you still finding rest in this season? Because there's always a way to do so. Just one day, maybe two. Maybe you can do one a month. 
work your way up to finding a way to truly getting into a rest, a rhythm of rest every single week where your, your soul is recharged, renewed, where you're seeking the Lord in everything you do from what you eat to how you rest to taking a little nap. Oh man, wouldn't that be awesome? We all need it. I need it. I will admit that the church has graciously given me one. I shared this with the partners a few weeks ago. They, they gave me a, a, a five-week or six-week uh, sabbatical back five years ago. And, and at that time, it was like, if I don't get a sabbatical, I'm done. That was, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I was ultimating them. It was that we need to do something or Bren's going to tap out. This time, as, 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 as crazy it is, I'm kind of sad to go because I love where the church is at and it's growing and things are fun and it's wonderful, but I also know like this is going to be so good for me and for the church as a whole because it has never been about me. And if you are making it about me, stop it. It was never about me. I don't build this church. In fact, you don't build this church. Matthew 16 says, I will build my church. The I is Jesus, by the way, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He builds his church. So will you find rest? Some of you right now, your marriages are dying for some Sabbath rest. Your kids are floundering for some Sabbath rest. Some of you have had a season of rest and you're ready to run. By all means, run, but don't leave the position of resting in the Lord. I'm always perplexed. It says, the psalm says, be still and know that I'm God. It doesn't say do lots and know that I'm God. Do these many things in my name and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I am God. Life and ministry will have all kinds of seasons where you will have to run hard. Other times you'll be able to walk. And sometimes there are hills, sometimes it's flat, sometimes the train is hard, sometimes the speed is at intervals. The point is, is that a race is meant to be a long haul. Count the cost of following the Lord. Some of you are jumping into some really difficult seasons. Be prepared. New marriages, new ministries, new missions, new communities, it's a hard change. Some of us, unfortunately, because we live in a broken world, are just one phone call away of this family member's health being gone. Our days are numbered before the Lord. Why don't we live them the way that he has asked us to do so, where we're not burning ourselves out at both ends at the expense of saying it's for the Lord and all the while doing nothing with him, but instead being with the Lord. And out of that, watch what ministry can happen when we're strengthened and renewed by him. So we're officially done June 6th. Next Sunday, the elders are going to pray our whole family off. We'd love to have you here for that. Um, and then we will be back on August 29th. We are going to talk a little bit about what that means for the church next week. Um, but we're really, really excited. Thank you for your generosity to do so. That being said, how are you running your race? We're going to take communion today, and we're going to do it differently so you can stay in your seats. We're going to actually pass it. So some ushers and some other individuals are going to get up and start passing communion. And we're going to take it as a, as a body together, as a family. Uh, I think um, one, one pastor said it this way. He says, if you're going to take sabbaticals, let them be real sabbaticals. A willed passivity in order to be restored to alert receptivity to spirit, prayer, silence, solitude, and worship. Um, my, my bet and my assumption and my belief is that many of us are fairly anemic in our solitude and silence and prayer life with the Lord. 
it's, it's really hard not to operate that way because the world tells us drastically different. It is, it, it is in conflict with us in being that. Yes, please go ahead and pass it, guys. That'd be great. Yeah. And so, so because of that, I would encourage you guys to find a season of rest, to find a way. Now, and here's the thing, and this is very important. Hear me on this, please. Before you start disbanding every single function you're a part of and running from everything, one of the best things you can do in this is spend some time in prayer and then involve community and saying, hey, how should I reshape my life in this way? Does this make sense? Should I give this up? What are the things I'm going to give up? Because you will have to say no to some good things. And our, our propensity is to be like, oh, I'll figure this out. I'll solve it right now. I'm going to wipe my whole calendar and, and see nothing and do no one. And I think what we've seen out of this last season, unfortunately, is that isolation has not brought anyone into absolute health. In fact, it's done the very opposite. It has crushed marriages, crushed relationships, and crushed people's walk with the Lord. And so if you are able and willing to answer this question with, man, I am, I am operating with rest in the Lord, praise God, help teach others to do it. But if you're like me and many others where it's like, oh, I haven't really been resting at all. In fact, you've, you've maybe believed the mantra, I'll rest when I'm dead. You might be thinking too highly of yourself. The truth is, is that we were not made to run a thousand miles an hour every single day. So that means that as a church community, we should respect boundaries. We should be able to push into those if they aren't biblical but we should be encouraging others to rest. So I would challenge you, encourage you, plead with you, beg as a church over this summer, two or three days, full days. You're like, full day, that's crazy. Great, work yourself up to it. Full days of rest and then talk about it. Share what the Lord has done. Write down what you see. You'll be amazed at what life God can bring when we just sit long enough to hear him. You'll be amazed at how much more capable you will feel to walk through those hard seasons of broken marriages and, and, and loss in relationship and all the things that come when you recognize that you've rested with the Lord. So as we take communion, we remember that we are a community of people. We are to do this together. To run this race with endurance means that we recognize that other people are running with us. We're not alone. And we do this together, reminding, pointing people back to the very thing that this represents, the very, the very image of Jesus Christ, who is our bread and our juice in faith that symbolizes his work on the cross. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples, took this bread that represents his sinless life, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup, which represents his sacrificial death. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. Now, as a community, as you move into a time of singing and worship, I want to challenge you. If you right now have already displaced and said, I'm not going to take any rest, there's no way I can do it, or you've said, cool, I can take the whole summer off like Brent. I'm not going to be a part of the community. I would encourage you to go back to the prayer room and get some prayer because you need it. <laughs> if you realize that you are, the candle isn't even burning at both ends, it's gone. 
and you're at risk of making absolutely horrific or terrible or wrong decisions in your life, get prayer. If you're in a spot where it's like, man, I just need to learn how to step into worshiping God and rest, then do that. We have an opportunity to do that right now with a few songs. But wherever you are, like I say over and over again, I gotta say it a lot in the next two weeks because I won't be here. Don't go through the motions. Don't pretend you're not fooling anyone. Or, unfortunately, you might be fooling some of your community around you, which is just isolating yourself further and further from being pointed back to the author and perfecter of our faith as we run this race with endurance. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for rest. We thank you for um, reminding me that there is a way to slow down. We thank you for the, um, the elders pushing me to do this, giving me space to do this. God, for the many, many pastors that those statistics are atrociously true, um, would, you, would you bring grace and mercy? And God, may none of us in this room, none of us online, none of us that are part of this church operate with just being okay running on fumes, where our reading with you is anemic. We can't think of the last time we opened your scriptures, or where we don't remember praying outside of a meal, or... Um, or on Sundays, where we don't, um, we don't even know what it's like to be with you, Lord. Forgive us for that, Lord. I pray for uh, every individual here to find a rhythm of rest that will look different in every person's life, but it should be present in every one of our lives. I pray that we'd be a church that, that operates in the rest of Jesus and that we would see what we saw in the manna, what our people saw, what your people saw in the manna, in, in, the, in the desert was that they didn't have to collect on that sixth day because you would provide enough. And so what we see as we as a church settle into being a church that moves forward out of rest, would we watch you accomplish more? See more people come to know you because of this. See more people discipled because of this. And all of a sudden we recognize that our, our schedules open up when we're doing it on your strength and not our own. And God, for the proud in the room, the proud that, that are right now cynical about even giving me a break or cynical about getting a break, God, I just pray that you wreak havoc with their hearts. Help them to see that there is no position where we aren't yoked to you and your burden is light as a follower of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time of worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue